Thank you for joining Mind Your Brain. The mission of this podcast and all of our podcasts is to improve the quality of life for those affected by a brain injury. The Mind Your Brain Foundation is devoted to giving you tools and tips from world-class experts in the field of neuroscience and neurorehabilitation so you can reach your highest recovery that's possible. We're here for you for help and hope. My name is Candace Gant, welcome again. I am a traumatic brain injury survivor and founder of the Mind Your Brain at Penn Medicine Conferences and the executive director of the Mind Your Brain Foundation. I'm also proud to be on the board of the Brain Injury Association of Pennsylvania. My guest today is Matthew Bernardo. Matt graduated from Thomas Jefferson University with a master's degree in occupational therapy and is currently working on his doctorate from the same institution. He has 11 years of experience in physical rehabilitation and has worked across the spectrum of care, including acute care, inpatient, home health, outpatient rehabilitation, covering all those areas. Matt has extensive experience working with individuals diagnosed with various neurological conditions with a specialty in visual, vestibular, and perceptual rehabilitation. He has presented to various healthcare professionals and students on the topic of vision therapy, on vision rehabilitation, TBI, and how concussions and TBI can impact a person's ability to engage in daily activities. Matt is currently working at the Drucker Brain Injury Center at Moss Rehabilitation in the Outpatient Center. So thank you, Matt. We welcome you. Thank you for joining us. And we are looking forward to learning and growing from the information that you will share with us about functional vision rehabilitation. And, and most specifically, symptom management and pacing in regards to eye strain, dizziness, headaches, light sensitivity. It cover, covers a lot of areas, but we're so thrilled to have you with us today. Thank you very much for the warm welcome, Kenneth. I'm excited to talk to you about all this. So Matt, please start us off by describing functional vision rehabilitation to us. What is that? Functional vision rehabilitation is a process uh, where we evaluate a person's visual skills after a brain injury, a stroke, or something along the like. We're looking at how the changes in their eye movements or their visual function affects their ability to engage in their daily activities. And we structure a treatment program to help them uh, regain skills that may have been impaired mm -hmm. and to help change the way that they might do things or adapt their environment to allow them the opportunity to complete the activities that are required in the moment and that are important for their life roles and responsibilities. Yeah, thank you for that. That's a good place to start. And so does the therapy induce, so we're trying to eliminate eye strain or overcome those challenges, dizziness, headaches. Does the therapy induce more eye strain? And, and when do you get relief then? How does that work? So there, there's a dance that you have to kind of establish or a balance that you need to find. Um, I think a lot of brain injury rehabilitation in general is about finding the appropriate level of challenge. I'm an occupational therapist by trade, right? Mm -hmm. And in school, we learn about something called the just right challenge, um, where if you're looking at something on a continuum, 
you want the activities that you present to your client to help them regain function are not too challenging that it's overwhelming, but also not, uh, not enough of a challenge that it doesn't engage the mechanism for improvement. It doesn't challenge us enough to want to improve or give us a little bit of stress, the little bit of stress that we need to make improvements. The therapy itself can induce eye strain, especially when the client and the therapist are developing a rapport and understanding where those limitations really start and how they're affected because everybody's a little bit different. So what we try to do is once we get that initial period out of the way where we discover where that eye strain, that fatigue, that headache kicks in, then we really start to enact a program that will help you learn to understand your limits mm -hmm. and always work just below that point that's going to trigger that eye strain that makes you turn the lights off yeah. or that headache that makes you lay down. Right. We don't want to, we have to find the sweet spot. Exactly. So eye strain um, and dizziness, that, that is a result of vision challenges. How does that work? So I guess what I'm saying is that there's other mechanisms that vision controls that causes symptoms that you didn't expect from a vision problem. Exactly. I think it's, it's a very, very broad thing. And as human beings, we're very dynamic. And we have to look at an activity in all of its parts, not just, well, this is causing eye strain. Well, you know, we look at a person's ability to follow things or to place their eyes accurately on multiple targets across a line. Mm -hmm. um, if that's a challenge, we help to restore that. But there are also things like lighting that brain injury survivors know can be very, very, very triggering in different environments. We look at how your body position is and your ergonomics during the activity. There are a lot of things that can be triggered through your neck and your shoulders that can lead to eye strain because the muscles that are rooted in the lower part of your neck and in the base of your skull wrap around your head and are also linked to muscles around your eyes. So sometimes that feeling of eye strain that we develop or that tension around our eyes and our head is actually rooted in the muscles around our skull and the muscles that start at that- Back the, of your head. The, exactly, that sub, sub occipital area. And sometimes, you know, when you feel you massage, you're like, wow, you push into those muscles and they are very tender because they can be carrying a lot of tension that also lead to things. So we look at how you position things, what the lighting is like, what the size of the font is. Do you have the right glasses if you need them? Because that's huge. And also the, the strength of the muscles around your eyes and their ability to work together. It's a very dynamic interplay between all those things that can lead to the symptoms that, that, that you're describing. So what I'm hearing you say is that it's important, the testing is important because you have to identify the source of what your eye strain and your symptoms, where it's begun. Yes, testing is very important in any, uh, you know, in any clinical evaluation for any therapy and especially with brain injuries because they affect the entire person and, you know, not just physiologically or visually, but also emotionally. We need to tease out things. 
We need to kind of peel back layers until we determine where we can start to address or correct some of the root causes of the problems are. Mm -hmm. And then we can start to put things back together and layer things back up. So the testing phase, how long does that usually take, Matt? Is that extensive? Can it be conducted over a period of time or is this one session? It's typically, you know, we do the major part of the assessment over the course of one visit. Depending on how much a person can tolerate, um, how much information they can take in at once, how easy it is for them to answer questions, how much uh, eye strain or headache developed during the testing, we're going to parse out the evaluation. So, you know, if it, everything goes as planned, Mm -hmm. um, we usually get a lot of really good information in about an hour session, but oftentimes we're breaking things down into chunks and doing it over a series of sessions to ensure that we're not creating an environment where a person is going to get a headache or eye strain. We want to develop rapport in these sessions. Mm -hmm. So we don't want to give you a terrible headache the first time you come in. And then the next time you do, you expect that to happen already. We're and not setting the stage for success. You know, yeah. so we, we, we pace it out at a level that a person can tolerate. You're going to feel it, right? You're going to feel it. Right, right. It's not supposed to be something that is essentially the end of your day, you know, because you can't do anything else. Indeed, indeed. And so you, you'll have these testings and that will help you develop the right curriculum for their recovery. And yeah. the curriculum could be a trial and error as well. Do you agree that you try something and see if they had the right response and the right recovery that you anticipated? There is a growing body of evidence behind oculomotor or vision exercises in improving function after traumatic brain injury, but every person is different and you do need to approach each individual at the level that they're at. Not every client that walks in the door has the same level of education. Not every client that walks in the door has the same type of professional experience. Mm -hmm. um, for a lot of people that are going back to work, the way you would treat a person who works on a construction site is much different than you would treat a person who uses a computer all day for their job. So you have to really think about the environment in which they need to operate. You know, that of a mother of, of, a, of a toddler, the demands are much higher than a retired person who spends, you know, more of their day out in the community socializing and just managing their daily activities in the community. So, you know, we have to look at each person's roles. We have to structure the treatment around what their roles are and their preferred activities. And that's why I think occupational therapists mm -hmm. are very well suited to bridge the gap between a person's function and roles and desires and the things that make them who they are, to bridge the gap between those things and the cognitive or visual or emotional or physical things that develop after a traumatic brain injury and find a marriage between those two things. Yes, it's very complex, a big puzzle that you're putting together. And so then you recommend a treatment plan. And I wanted to talk with you a minute about pacing then mm -hmm. to make sure that they can accomplish the goals that you both had developed. Mm -hmm. So we try to help people learn ways to manage their symptoms from the very beginning. You know, that education begins during the first exercise in the evaluation. Um, teaching people to be mindful, teaching people to utilize gentle stretching, teaching people to kind of learn to breathe and relax their emotional state. Um, that's important with pacing. And the other thing is teaching people how to recognize 
when their symptoms are starting to develop or get bigger, snowball, whatever the term you want to use. There are quite a few different metaphors that we like to use that provide a kind of concrete message for our patients. If you'd like, I can describe a couple. Yes, could you please? They're great. All right. So one metaphor that we like to use that's very, very easy, and I think most people can visualize it well, is the idea of a stoplight, you know, um, and having you know, green forego, yellow being that time where you start, you better start paying attention. You mm-hmm. might need to slow down soon. And then our red light, which at that point, you know, we need to stop. We try to educate our patients to kind of visualize that image, visualize that stoplight. And you want to be living somewhere in between the green and the yellow. Mm-hmm. And once you start to feel that yellow, you, you better listen and slow down. Because if you do push your symptoms into that red zone, mm-hmm. people tend to, they, they can't go any further. Shut down. And that's what we find um, in helping people that have survived traumatic brain injuries is once you get to that point where those symptoms have gotten overwhelming, mm-hmm. you can't move forward. Yeah. And, you know, we need to learn to live in that area where the symptoms are manageable. And we learn to expand that area. We learn to grow that area and push it forward in a managed and controlled fashion. Another metaphor that I like to use is the idea of, uh, you know, (laughs) think about the the road trip between Las Vegas and Los Angeles, right? There's a lot of desert in between. Um, And you may try really, really hard to drive from Vegas to LA, just get there as fast as you can. But if you run out of gas in the desert, you're stuck there. And, you know, nobody can help you. you. You can't go any further. But if you take the time and get gas every time you see it, it might take you a half an hour, 45 minutes longer to get there, but you can ensure the fact that you're going to get to the finish line. So thinking about things with that mindset is really helpful for people. I love that. I love that because it's the pacing that you mentioned yeah. earlier, that you, you're in control of it. You exactly. Can it. You can improve the outcome by being in yeah. control. When people realize that they're actually in control of it, mm-hmm. you know, they're almost often, I'm not going to say always, but there's often a sense of change right away in the clinical relationship and in their ability to do the things that we're asking them to do in therapy and outside of therapy, because now they realize that they're the ones that are in control. The symptoms aren't in control. The brain injury is in control. The environment is in control. Mm -hmm. You are in control. You just have to enact those pacing skills and learn to be mindful. And that's where mindfulness really comes in because you become much more aware of your internal state and you know when you need to kind of step back, bring it together, gather yourself, and then re-engage in a whole fashion instead of just, you know, kind of stumbling along to the finish line. Yeah. Powering through it. Yeah. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's not a good strategy. No, but it's, that's our, that's what we're taught as human beings. Agreed. No pain, no gain. Keep pushing yourself. <laughs> Just fight through it. Yes. We're, we're teaching with pacing after brain injury, a counterintuitive process. You and know, it requires a lot of training. I agree. It does. Yeah. And it's, it is, it's, it's a trained uh, opportunity that you have to include, I'm, I'm sure in your treatment plan. And so yeah. that tell us the mindfulness. So you get to that yellow light and you know that it's going to be a hard stop soon. You step mm-hmm. back. Tell us how that mindfulness plays a role then. So we typically try to teach people just some guided breathing to start um, and just to become aware of their breath and how a few deep breaths 
can really have a neurochemical and physiological effect on your body. A few deep breaths and mindful deep breathing has a change. It, it changes your autonomic nervous system. Mm -hmm. It brings your body to a different place. And then once you, you're able to kind of tap in to that autonomic nervous system change and feel your body become more aware, then you're able to kind of scan through your body, feel where your tension is. You might feel dizzy. And in the process of feeling dizzy, your body feels like it's moving, even though you know you're sitting still. If we can come to a calm place, we can learn to ground ourselves. We can learn to remind ourselves or teach ourselves that actually the environment isn't moving, that we're here, mm -hmm. that we're stable, and that we can re-engage things in a solid fashion. Things are not going to spiral out of control. We're going to re-engage in a, in a more controlled way. And you teach this method of mindfulness, I'm sure, yes. during your process. And what tools do you use there? Can you make any recommendations on what our listeners could use? Absolutely. So uh, one excellent tool that's out there, and it's another wonderful foundation um, that assists survivors traumatic brain injury is called Love Your Brain. Um, on their website, they have an entire meditation library um, that is organized by different types of meditation. Um, the body scanning meditation is one that we often use with our kind of dizzy vestibular blurred vision patients um, because it helps you ground your body. Um, but there are other more for just relaxation. There are other meditations for calm and acceptance of the situation. There are meditations to reflect on gratitude and joy. Um, so you can help with your emotional state that often has a contribution to your physical performance, your ability to engage in things. So that is one resource that we use very, very often because it's on your phone. It's free. You can use it anywhere. And I find the meditations themselves very helpful. And many, many, many patients that I've worked with over the years say the same thing. The scientific evidence, I agree, is out there that this mindfulness and meditation is such a valuable tool mm -hmm. to have in your toolbox for recovery. So some of your patients, can you tell us they use this, they have an hour session with you, perhaps an hour and a half or broken up. Can they use it multiple times? You've got to stop as you're, yeah, again, you're talking about pacing. It might be two or three stops in an hour. And Especially when we're, when we're working on exercises that we know are directly um, challenging the areas that trigger the symptoms. Mm -hmm. Because part of recovery from these things is dealing with the experience and dealing with exposure to that, that movement, that visual movement that you might see, or that sensation of moving around. Exposure to that is important in recovery. But if we overexpose someone, it's going to cause significant symptoms. So then we look to stop and pace ourselves. And if we're doing something very triggering, we might take five to 10 minutes mm -hmm. to bring it back together, to fully relax the nervous system, to allow the person to know that even though I feel this way during the activity, there is a place to step back to and feel comfortable again so that it doesn't, all, it doesn't have to all be that eye strain, dizziness, fog mm -hmm. that you get when you're very, very challenged in certain and areas. And exhaustion, because your yeah. brain is such an energy is huge. Yep. And I think this has, is 
the recommendation is terrific because it has applications to life experiences. You're going to get out into the real world and have these experiences that are overwhelming to you or okay. the sensitivity causes triggers for you that you can just use an app on your phone to pull it back together and not mm -hmm. panic and say, this is, I practice this. I can use this tool. This is a great resource for me and feel confident they can work themselves through a situation, a real life situation. Yeah. I find with the pacing and, and the mindfulness and kind of getting yourself out there and doing things, mm -hmm. it's always better to, to develop a structured plan to try to do something. And then you can reduce the barriers or, or maybe not the barriers, but you can reduce the, the levels of assistance or the crutches that you need to get through it. But it's better. I think reading is a good example. I think sometimes people who are avid readers before their brain injuries now have a significant challenge to read. And they often probably read books with lots of small print on the page, mm -hmm. lots of information. Now all of a sudden they look at that page and the words are swimming around. Things are jumping out. We can't figure out where the last line ended and the next line begins. And as soon as you do, you forget what you just read. Right. So it just makes you want to slam the book shut and not do it anymore. Well, the longer you go avoiding that activity, the harder it becomes to get back into it. So, and this is where kind of the functional part of this vision rehab that we're talking about comes into play. Right. We're not just doing eye exercises and hoping that that yes. solves the problem. We're looking at ways to modify real life activities so that a person can re-engage in them. And what we typically find is that when the confidence starts to build mm -hmm. and they feel like they can do it, that's when that neuroplasticity occurs. That's when the brain changes. That's when real progress begins. So if we need to use a line guide to start to read, we do. If we need to use bigger print than we're used to, we do. If we need to change the lighting or what we read from, we do. Or if we only read for three minutes or one page a day, we do that for a week until we can build up from that. Because that's better than closing the book and putting it down and not picking it back up. That's taking us somewhere. Yes, yes. And, and I applaud you for mentioning that because I had difficulty with Dr. Seuss when I, after my brain injury, and that was frustrating and discouraging. And these, this strategy would have been a great help to me 15 years ago, but I'm glad yeah. you're teaching it now. Well, they're, they're tongue twisters to begin with. <laughs> <laughs> Agreed. Maybe I shouldn't have started with Dr. Seuss. Maybe it's, it's a fun place to start though. Yeah. yeah I had small children. It seemed to work for me. Yeah. So Matt, in our last few minutes, can you tell our audience, is there any, do you recommend any tools and tips to help our listeners navigate through this rehabilitation? I think the number one thing for survivors of brain injury to remind themselves of is that, you know, they're recovering from a, a very challenging process in a lot of different ways and being um, loving and accepting to yourself as you go through these things uh, puts you in the best position mentally to accept the fact that things are going to be hard, but you can recover from them. And then remembering that pushing yourself to the edge in the middle of an activity is probably the worst thing that you can do for yourself. Being able to kind of pace yourself and accept what you can do at a given time or on a given day will help you recover much more quickly than if you keep just trying to push, push, push mm -hmm. to where you want to be. Take those baby steps. Yep. 
Yeah. Thank you for that, Matt. This, this interview, wow, it's been fantastic. Thank you for giving our listeners with a brain injury encouragement and then the information they can use to take control of their recovery. I really appreciate you spending time with us today. My pleasure. Thank you very much for having me. And to our subscribers, to our podcast listeners, please share this with others. There are millions that still are struggling that you could help by providing this information. You can be a partner with us and follow us on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, leave us messages, leave us comments. And speaking of comments, please email us at info, that's I-N-F-O, at mindyourbrainfoundation.org and tell us what future podcasts, what guests you would like us to engage with and talk with and provide you some valuable help and hope. And thank you for joining us. Here's my virtual hug. You are not invisible to us. <laughs>